0: Curiosity is so aligned with intrinsic motivation. It is self-directed. You choose to be curious. You choose to make the pause.
1: Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. Back when I was contemplating this show, I made a list of 25 topics I thought I might cover. VUCA was on the list. VUCA, V-U-C-A, short for volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. It's a term that originated in the late 1980s, building on the leadership theories of Warren Bennis and Bert Nanus. The U.S. Army War College used VUCA to describe the multilateral world they and we faced at the end of the Cold War, full of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Our almost formulaic world order was gone. We needed new ways to think about the new world order, like a 20th century version of the no more 18th century British redcoats marching in strict formation across the New England countryside. I was interested in thinking about how curiosity might intersect with VUCA, what might it offer? Could curiosity help? I imagined so and hoped someday to find someone who could explore those questions with me. Enter Dr. Allison Horstmeyer, whose elegant mix of research, theory, and practical curiosity in work and life immediately appealed to me. Allison is a talent development facilitator, executive coach, and humanistic researcher. Her research focuses on curiosity and associated mental, emotional, and motivational attributes, with particular attention to workplace curiosity. In addition to her consulting practice, she serves as the director of client development and adjunct faculty for the University of Southern California's Marshall School of Business Executive Education Program. And as the inaugural research fellow appointed to the USC Annenberg Center for Third Space Thinking, where she is upending how we consider and cultivate soft skills development. So welcome, Allison.
0: Thank you so much. What a wonderful introduction, and I'm so delighted to be here. What a great way to start the new year.
1: I agree. I was very excited about having this teed up at the start of the year. So you actually study curiosity, which of course is thrilling to me. <laughs> and you know how many different interpretations there are out there. So uh-huh. so I was wondering, how do you define curiosity for starters?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, given... Uh... The the time I've spent immersing myself in the literature and, and putting in practical application. There there are two definitions I, I tend to gravitate towards both, supported by a guest of yours on the show, Dr. Todd Cashdan. And one is the exploration pursuit and desire for volatility, uncertainty complexity. Wow, sounds like VUCA. (laughs) So isn't that crazy that innate in each one of us is this meta skill to navigate the current environment uh, that we're in? I mean, with the pandemic and the array of changes we are all experiencing, we can't get much more VUCA than what we're in today.
1: But that's kind of reassuring, right? I mean, we're sort of built for these times. I don't know that everybody feels that way, but that's what that definition means.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If we are able to realize that innate within us is this meta skill that catalyzes or empowers other skills such as divergent thinking, reframing. Reframing is such a powerful skill, especially when we are in heightened states of anxiety that catalyzes empathy and, and really leaning in with a learner mindset. Your mindset and your physiology would shift into a place where you are living and embodying really the plane of possibilities, and the plane of possibilities I did not make up, that's Dr. Dan Siegel's work out of UCLA, but, but neurologically in our brains, we can make new neural connections until the day we die, you know, that was not believed. That was true back in the day, but really you have the capacity for new neural connections based on new experiences to really broaden and build your thought-action repertoire. And so instead of standing on the plane, uh, or rather the plateau of possibilities, which would be holding on to the status quo, trying to adapt or force or conform in a way that's kind of more of a survival way of being You have an opportunity to live in the plane of possibilities.
1: That's a pretty affirming, again, a pretty affirming message right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, my research shows that curiosity, there's an intentionality to it. It, it, it's, It's a choice. Uh, which is why your title of your show is so apropos, you know, my study participants were very clear. You do curiosity. It's very active. While we often associate observation, like your observation, your world in a way that's being inquisitive, that was not really curiosity to them. That was very passive. And so, you know, the other definition I like is this self directed seeking, exploring, and immersing in situations that have the propensity to deliver new information and new experiences. So I, I love that definition because curiosity is so aligned with intrinsic motivation, it is self directed. You choose to be curious, you choose to make the pause. And I think what this environment is teaching us is that we need to practice the pause more often.
1: Oh, nice. So that raises a really interesting question in my mind about the definition that might be adopted, say, in the workplace, and the implications for sort of how curiosity is viewed and understood in the workplace. So taking a pause for starters, isn't always the first thing that employers think their employees should be doing.
0: Yes. So it was interesting, and my research bubbled up the relationship between cognitive biases that we have. uh, Cognitive biases are pretty common in business, one being confirmation bias. And my study participants were very articulate. I I didn't go looking for this in that you can go searching for an alternate solution. My searching is in quotes if you saw me. But if you're really just looking for three solutions to check off a box or an agenda and you really know which one you're going for, that was not really true curiosity at all to them. That was actually a form of self-protective curiosity because you're really just exploring to confirm which, which direction you already want to go status quo bias, framing bias, anchoring bias, all of these shut down the facets of curiosity. What also has been happening in the workplace, I think we have an oversimplification of what curiosity is. You know, means you're inquisitive. It's great to be inquisitive. And if you're not receptive, being open, open-minded, open to experience, the inputs that are coming in from the result of being inquisitive, that's not curiosity. So the movement that really needs to happen in the workplace is not if you're curious and if you're not curious and looking for curious in certain ways and st- certain stereotypes, as in Lynn, you need to be curious the way I'm curious because that's curiosity. It's really, <laughs> it's really how. How are right. we curious? Right. And this is a function because it is multidimensional. It has dimensions of not knowing, openness, exploration, and then stress tolerance, which is really kind of the kicker to it all, which is managing the anxiety, doubt, and confusion along the way. Because exploration into the unfamiliar and new can be uncomfortable. It can create stress, right?
1: Right. Well, absolutely. And I've, I remember seeing somewhere in your writing about the research that supports the importance of stress tolerance and the dimension, in that dimension of curiosity, in a workplace. Talk a little bit about that, if you would.
0: Yeah. It- Certainly curiosity has been described, and the, the research shows by other research, that it can be a, a what Cashdan refers to as a, a joyful exploration. There are certainly different flavors to curiosity. I think this is the other thing we have to start wrapping our heads around, that it's not the static fixed trait that looks a certain way, my research shows that there's actually a need to start thinking about curiosity as states that move through time, that have an elasticity to them. And there's a process within that, that when you decide to engage in curiosity, there is an immediate appraisal process that happens. This is also supported in the research, where one you, you say, oh, wow, this looks unfamiliar, a bit different. I have a knowledge gap or, you know, something in the environment has created uh, a violation of expectations. Like my plan didn't go accordingly to what I had told the team that it was going to, right? Like something happens where you're like, oh, wow, this, this looks a bit different. And the second one is do I have what it takes To cope with the stress along the way, because what I might find along the way, I will need to figure out how to integrate. And we don't really talk about that in the workplace. We talk about, oh, fear gets in the way, or, you know, assumptions. Yes, getting assumptions on the table, clarifying assumptions, will really help to enliven curiosity and and, uh, catalyze kind of collaboration and alignment. And yeah, maybe the fear is connected to a narrative that we have to figure out is really an illusion or what's true about it. But we don't really talk about that the anxiety is a natural part and what are the environments we are developing in our workplace to support exploration and experimentation and having the wherewithal to continue with the exploration, to to have an experience that maybe showed my minimal viable product didn't turn out so great, and what's the kind of the feedback that's going to be given to me from external feedback as well as my internal feedback? Is that going to uh, empower me to be able to codify those, quote, failures as learnings? You know, we see Certain companies really take a stand culturally that this is the environment they want to create. We see it with Microsoft and Intuit and Novartis, where they really transitioned their culture from being a culture of experts to a culture of learners.
1: So you exactly anticipated my question. I was really interested to know sort of where this may have actually been put into place. Do you know how they made those, those transitions? Because it's not a small thing to do.
0: It it needs to start at the top. You know, Novartis has has spent three years, these last three years, with the CEO and the Chief Learning Officer. They actually just released a book about it, uh, where they decided that their that a tenant of their of their culture was going to be curiosity, and they really defined it in a way like you know, we're a culture of experts, we're, you know, we're in biotech and medicine, and we're trying to create all these new and wonderful innovations, and sure, we need to be experts, and they realized that was actually hampering their ability to innovate, and they really wanted to bring in this idea of leaning in with saying, I don't know, unpacking problems, being more inclusive in the ideation and, you know, those kinds of things. I see it with my conversation recently with Microsoft, where he, uh, where he said it was an executive, one of the VPs, where he said, you know, six years ago, I had to know, I had to be an expert. And now when somebody says, I don't know, we say, thank you.
1: I refer to myself as a recovery (laughs) know-it-all.
0: Yes. Yes. And, you know, I think the part of it also that I realized in in my research, too, I didn't go looking for this, is, you know, what are the values that we are really embracing and modeling? Because I can tell you if you're saying that you want curiosity and you understand that it requires a different environment and then you're modeling you know, status quo or conforming, you know, trying to control for agreement. I mean, conformity I get can be good for certain instances. Certainly when you're having a beginning of a pandemic and you want people to follow policy and rules because it's safe for everybody that way. Okay, that makes sense. But in the research, Conformity can be an anxiety-based value because it has a negative correlation to openness to change, which kind of makes sense, and it has an inverse relationship to well-being. So the more conformity the lower the well-being, which makes sense. If I'm depriving you, Lynn, of your autonomy, your talents, your gifts, your ability, right, <laughs> your competency, right? It's, it's self-determination, theory, and action. Your ability to connect with others, you're not going to feel so great emotionally, mentally, physically.
1: So this is what you call the, the curiosity contradiction, that we say we want this, but we don't necessarily create these environments that make it... Possible, let alone sort of reward or enable curiosity.
0: Yeah, I I think we see these glimmers, right? These companies are that I referenced earlier, they're not the norm, right? These are the outliers who are seeing that in this MOOC environment, something needs to be different. You know, I didn't conduct the research that highlighted the curiosity contradiction that was from SurveyMonkey and INSEAD. The researchers conducted a survey of 23,000 employees, which included C-suite leaders, and they found that 83% of senior executives said curiosity was encouraged a great deal or a good amount, but only 52% of their employees agreed. And then while 49% of the C-level Believe curiosity was rewarded by salary, only 16% of employees agreed. This was also seen two years earlier by Merck, did a two-year study across 3,000 workers across 16 industries in U.S., Germany, and China. 65% of employees reported that curiosity was essential to discovering new ideas and then almost 60% reported encountering barriers to curiosity. So we we want it. And yet we're not really taking the steps to recognize what it is and how it can show up and how to cultivate it and foster yeah. it. Because it requires such a huge cultural shift. And I don't know... If companies today are ready uh, to make that, to make that shift.
1: Well, as we were preparing for this conversation, I mentioned that I'd had this conversation with Matt Cronin at the School of Management at George Mason University some time ago. In the midst of that, he put a pin in this idea that teaching people how to be more comfortable with uncertainty would be one of what he would consider the craft of curiosity. He's written on the craft of creativity and Or what we sort of thought of it as what, you know, Donald Saul would call simple rules, right, of curiosity. So I'm wondering, based on your research, based on your consulting, are there simple rules for curiosity that would help workplaces begin to make this shift?
0: First of all, I love the craft of curiosity. I might have to borrow that. Uh. By all means.
1: (laughs) I love it too. I was like, yes.
0: Yes, that's fantastic. Uh, Really sums it up because it is a practice. And even coming back to enlivening it is is a practice. In terms of simple rules, you know, I do have an expert learner framework that I use with executives that's has proven to be quite helpful for them. It's a quick way for them to catch themselves. And the expert mindset is the one who leans in to prove they're right, listening to win, listening to fix. It's quite a defensive stance. It's very me, me uh, me-focused, and tends to want to sit in the familiar. The learner mindset, which For folks listening, we'll we'll be like, wow, that sounds a lot like growth mindset, but it's growth mindset in action, which is what makes it easy to see the practicality of a growth mindset. The learner mindset leans in to help improve. They're listening with the intention that what I hear changes what I do. With the intention. doesn't mean you do it, but imagine if everybody listened that way. With the intention that what I hear changes what I do there the learner is is really big on reflection like taking time to say hey wow well, you know that that didn't work out so great why is that how did i show up to enable that to kind of have a cascade effect of of negativity or whatever happened in that situation the learner is also humble and transparent so you can see it's much more about we it's very kind of more about how are we going to do this and work together. And so you can just ask yourself, you know, am I showing up as the expert or the learner? When I have executive coaching clients, even recently I had an executive who's in the healthcare industry, really brilliant technologist doing amazing things and it was a a day where there were a series of fires with his team and he said you know what Allison at the end of the day I reflected I was like wow I really did not show up the way we have been talking and what I've been practicing in other ways and he's you know looked at himself and said why is that you know what were the triggers what could I have done differently you know, that reflection is what we see in the literature called intrapersonal curiosity. So the other thing about curiosity is it's not just an external phenomenon. It's, it's internal as well, which is why it can be so powerful in terms of this connection with uh, soft skills. Although we, you and I don't like that name, soft skills, so <laughs> let's go with essential human skills. How about that, everyone? Let's, let's call good. them that. So really, it's about what are you modeling? just ask yourself. And for my lovely extroverted friends or the ones that like to drive, like hop in and drive the conversation because they know where it should go, try WAIT, W-A-I-T. Why am I talking?
1: <laughs> oh, Ooh, that's good.
0: <laughs> and see what happens if you let others engage just might be a slightly different outcome or maybe it's not different outcome than you intended for it to go. You certainly will have brought people along with you that way.
1: Wow, that's a good one.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then reframing. Reframing is such a wonderful tool. I was actually just saw a little clip today by Daniel Pink, you know, author of Drive. And he was talking about reframing, and uh, in, in the context of exercise, and how you say, "I said I have to exercise, I get to exercise." And so reframing the situation in terms of you know what else could be going on here? What's another way to look at this? How how might we approach this aspect of it, or, or how how might a competitor of ours? Actually, kill our company. Like, start getting creative and flipping things around, so you get this multi perspective. Uh, we're missing so much by not reframing situations. You're, you're, you're potentially not even uncovering the core issue.
1: Nice, nice. Well,
0: well those are great. Uh, no, I think <laughs> that'll. Help. I mean, yes,
1: always, but. <laughs> but... Um, Our time is, our time is wearing down. So I want to, I want to get to my big jar of wannabe analogies for this.
0: Yes, of course.
1: Speaking of framing, right? Okay. So I've got uh, this jar with these little slips of paper. I've taken three out, one for you, one for me, one for the audience. And we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on these slips of paper. And yours is lotion. How is curiosity like lotion? And mine is mosaic. How is curiosity like a mosaic? So you want to go or you want me to give it a shot first?
0: Oh, you, I like yours better. Can we switch? <laughs> <laughs> let's switch. No, I'm kidding. You go for it. Okay. think about this lotion one. Wow. Okay.
1: Okay. okay. Mosaic. Um, I'm going to say that curiosity is like a mosaic. Um, well, kind of picking up on what you said in terms of um, being a very intentional thing, that a mosaic takes a lot of different pieces and organizes them um, around an idea, an expression of an idea. So there's a lot of intent and doing involved. And um, in the doing, bring something entirely different out as a product from where it started. Um, and that I think that's part of what's fun about curiosity is the creative process that it um, allows for. So that's what I'll say. How about lotion? How is curiosity like lotion?
0: Well, lotion can be uh, emollient and and kind of this elastic lubricant, right, and, and, and nourishing. And curiosity, since it is a meta skill innate within us, it has this beautiful fluid quality that tends to show up in, in different ways depending on the situation and uh, the context and what you're striving for. And at the same time, it's it's able to lubricate these other aspects of you, such as your creativity, your empathy, your uh, being present. I mean, we know it's a, a component of mindfulness. And it has a way of really bringing out and nurturing aspects of you that may be dormant because you may have not been ready to explore those yet or have explored situations that would allow those to come forward. So I see it as really kind of being that lubricant to aspects of you that may may have been dormant.
1: I love that. I, I'm going to think differently about my morning lotion on my hands. (laughs) I love that. It's now a curiosity exercise. Well, thank you so much for this, Allison. This is wonderful. And I will have links to your work on my website for people as well.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, and there's more to come on that. So looking forward to sharing more.
1: You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. Check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can hear all my previous shows on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Soundcloud, and Facebook, all at choose to be Curious or on my website at ChooseToBeCurious.com. I hope you follow me there and on Twitter at choose number 2 letter b Curious. I forgot to give you this. Don't forget to send us your coffee analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Allison Horstmeyer. Links to her work as well as Todd Cashton's on my website. Our theme music is by Sean Ballack. And this is Front Runner by Union Hall via Blue Dot Sessions. I hope you'll join us again next time, and until then, choose to be curious. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Funding for Choose to be Curious is provided in part by Concentric Private Wealth, where changemakers develop clarity for today and confidence for tomorrow by centering on what matters most, which involves more than just money. More information at www.concentricpw.com. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.